Okay, we're going to go ahead and start, so if you'd find a seat. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Well, it is good to have you guys here. It's, it's good to have those of you who are visiting. Maybe this is your first time coming and you chose to uh, fellowship with us this morning here at New Covenant. And we got people all the way from Kansas, Colorado. Are you guys from Colorado or Kansas? Where do you live right now? That's right. She's from Kansas. They're from Colorado. So they're here visiting. Um, and then we have some people all the way from Glencoe. They're here with us this morning. It's good to have you guys here. And then we have some folks down from Texas. They're from here, but they live down in Texas. Is it Houston? You guys live in the Houston area? Okay. It's good to have Becky's kids with her. So it's good to have you guys here. Um, you guys could come. How far is it to where you live? About nine hours. So if you left Saturday evening, you could get here in time for Sunday, couldn't you? Yeah. We can talk about that. All right. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I'm going to pray, then we're going to start. Lord, we just say thank you again for your goodness. And Lord, as we say, you are good all the time. And Lord, we say that with lip service, Father, but I believe we're beginning to believe that. Even in times when we don't understand what's going on, we don't have answers, Father, our hearts cry and say, you are good. And we want to move more and more into that revelation, Father, so that we can line up with you and what you're doing and what you want to do through us. So we thank you for your grace to embrace the word this morning, to be doers and not hearers only. Father, I thank you for leading me to sh- as, as I share your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, for the sake of the website, the name of this message is What I'm Learning in a Time of Transition. What I'm Learning in a Time of Transition. <clears throat> I want to talk about... Uh, in fact, the Lord put this on my heart a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, you know, transition is a word that we're all familiar with. It's a process that we've all encountered, experienced. It can be good, bad. You know, transition comes in all kinds of forms. And basically when I'm, when I'm talking about transition, I'm talking about that place in between when you're coming out of something and you're heading towards something different. But you're not there yet. You know, maybe you've come out of a job. Voluntarily or involuntarily. You know, laid off, fired, or whatever. And so you're out of that. And you're not yet into your new position. So there's that waiting period. Or maybe you uh, just got married. Or you're about to get married. You know, going from that single life to that life where two people become one and there's a transition period there's a a process that happens or needs to happen for that union to be to be successful there's all kinds of transitions Um, we're experiencing one obviously here in the church those of you who've been around know that um, pastor dale and i've transitioned him out of the senior pastor me into the senior pastor role 
And so we as New Covenant Fellowship are experiencing a transition. And I've been learning some things. Now, I haven't fully learned yet. I'm not done learning. But there's some things that I've learned, some things that I've observed and that God's dealing with me. And I want to share these and and hope that it will maybe help you uh, through the transitions that you're going. Because I know that we're not just going through a transition as a church, but many of us are going through transitions individually, as individuals, or as a family. For example, you may, be, uh, you may have kids that are, are leaving the home, leaving the nest. Maybe your last kid just left, and so you're, you're experiencing that empty nest syndrome. You know, so you're used to things being one way, maybe things revolving around the children and that kind of thing, and now that's changing. And it's a whole brand new arena that you've never been involved in before. You know, as like some of you who are, um, who are grandparents, all of a sudden you're in a whole new realm of life that, that uh, I haven't experienced yet, and I better not for a while. But that's a whole new realm that you probably thought, man, I never knew it would be like this. There's a whole level of joy and, and just all kinds of stuff that's going on. But it, it's, you're in a new phase of your life now. A new phase of your life. <clears throat> so I want to talk about six things that I'm learning. One, the first one is, it is important to have a vision in transition. It's important to have a vision in transition. Now, I'm not talking about vision of getting, in other words, vision of what comes after the transition. In other words, if I'm, I just got laid off. And I know that I have a vision that someday God's going to provide another job for me. And I'm fixing my eyes on that new job. Now, that's important. It's important to have a goal. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about having a vision of the process of transition. In other words, embracing transition as a welcome process that God is bringing into your life to work his purposes in you. And see, because a lot of times we just view transition as a negative thing. Because a lot of times it is negative. A lot of times it's hard, it's difficult, it's scary. But if we would be, grab a vision of what God wants to do in your life through that process, it could take you to a whole other level. And I want to read in um, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Very familiar passage says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that we would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. So back in verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. So in a nutshell, if someone wants to know, what's God's will for my life? The number one thing that God is working towards is forming you into the image of Jesus Christ. It's the number one thing that he's at work doing in your life. He's wanting to conform you. In other words, make you more like Jesus. Does that make sense? So when people say, I want to know what God's will for my life is. Now, of course, there's a general will. General will. And then there's a specific. The general is he's conforming you into Jesus Christ. He's making you more like him. He's wanting to grow you up so you begin to act 
and be like Jesus. And the other thing is, there's two, two general wills for God's people. To be conformed in the image of Jesus and to make disciples. To be conformed to the image of Jesus and to make disciples. So, knowing that God is wanting to do things, he is doing things to conform us into the image of Jesus, then we can see that transition is part of the process that he's going to use to conform us into the image of Jesus. Look at James chapter 1, another familiar verse or passage. And you can use this if you are going through a transition, a challenging one. And these verses right here may help you. Verse 2, James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you encounter various transitions. I changed that word. It says trials. Sometimes transition can be a trial. So you can substitute the word transition in there if that's how you feel about the transition you're going through. It's a trial. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 4 again, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, we can have pure joy knowing that this process that I'm going through, particularly trials, God's going to work it together for my good because I'm being conformed to his image. And I'm going to be more complete. I'm going to be more um, mature. And I'm going to know God more. I mean, if you think about it, one of the things that we can be excited about and have a, and this is what I mean by having a vision in transition, knowing that in this process, if I cooperate with God, line up with him and submit to him, I'm going to come out knowing Jesus like I never have before. If we begin to think of it that way, then transition in our lives will take on a whole new meaning. You know, a lot of times we welcome transition. We're looking for a change, and sometimes we're not. We like where we're at. We like what we're doing. We like the season that God has us in. But then God decides, okay, I'm transitioning you out of this. And that happened to me. Those of you who know, many of you know, I was a youth pastor here a number of years ago, and I served as youth pastor for 12 and a half years, and I liked it a whole lot. And my intention was to be a youth pastor at least until I was 90. Then I'd consider any changes necessary. But I, my goal was to be a youth pastor until I was 90 years old. And my reasoning was because then I would be good at it. I'd be, you know, if I had lasted that long, I'd be a pretty good youth pastor by the time I was 90 years old. Now I say that in jest, but I was serious. That, I felt that was what God had for me for the rest of my life. Youth, youth, being a youth pastor was not a stepping stone. It was not a temporary position into the real ministry. That is real ministry. And I was enjoying it. I was loving it. It wasn't all fun. I mean, of course, just like anything else, it had its trials. But I was sitting down, and the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm transitioning you out of youth ministry. I hadn't been praying for a change. I was liking youth ministry. That I'm transitioning you out. Now, more than my love for youth ministry is my desire to do God's will.
And I think that's something we all have to come to in our lives is that because we can become so enamored and so in love with the ministry that God has for us that we're not willing to let it go if he says it's time to let this go because I have something else for you. And we can get confused and say, no, this is the will of God. I've been doing this for 12 and a half years. There's no way he would want me to do something else. And we can hold on to that thing, and that thing can become an idol. And God's saying, no, I'm wanting to transition you into something else. And one thing I want to encourage you with is that anything that God is transitioning you into is going to be better. For his kingdom purposes. Now, it may not look better to other people. It could it look like a demotion. It may not even look better to you. Like, well, God, I thought I like this. I want to keep this. But remember, it's all about his kingdom. It's about his will. And so if he says, I'm going to transition you out of this into something else, our heart and desire should be, Lord, whatever you want to do, because I'm all about your kingdom. And if you need to reposition me so I can be more effective to bring fruit unto you, so be it. You see, there were things that I used to do back in that day that I enjoyed doing, hanging out with the teens, you know, all that youth ministry stuff. I was on the worship team for several years after I became a Christian. And my pastor that I got saved under found that I played an instrument, so he recruited me to the worship team. So for several years, I played on the worship team. And I enjoyed it. I loved it. And I remember one day the Lord spoke to me and said, it's time to lay the trumpet down. It's time to lay that down. And I wasn't asking to do that. It's like, what are you talking about? Don't you know how much the worship team needs me? I didn't say that, but. Because my more than, I love being on the worship team or playing the trumpet or being a youth pastor. More than that, I love God's will. And so what I want to encourage you with, and this is what the Lord's been encouraging me with, is that we need to have vision in transition. Don't skip the process. Don't look past the process. Embrace the process and say, God, bring it on. Because I know that you have, your, you have my best interest in mind. Remember, he's good all the time. All the time. And we have to begin to say that even in times when we don't understand. You know, I was just thinking, it's like if you're going on a trip, if you're going on a long trip somewhere, and you're going with your spouse, and you aren't getting along too well, then that trip's going to seem real long and tedious, isn't it? Let's say it's a 13-hour trip, two-day trip, and you're not getting along. So you're going to have visions of hurrying up and getting there. All you're going to be focused on is the destination. We need to hurry up and get there. I'm tired of this woman. But when you begin to enjoy the person, then the, you have vision for the destination, but you can enjoy the trip as well. Does that make sense? And so when we hang on to God and just begin to love on him, then we don't have to focus on the destination. We can enjoy the process, the trip, because we're enjoying it with him. And we'll move on. Number two. 
So the first thing is it's important to have vision and transition. Number two, God wants obedience, and he requires obedience. You know, transition is not an excuse for disobedience. You know, just because I'm going through a hard time, just because I don't understand what's going on, I'm frustrated, confused, I just got laid off, or, or whatever the case is, you know, you're, you're being transitioned and you're not embracing the transition that's what you didn't ask for. Even though you find yourself in that situation, God still requires obedience. That doesn't mean I can say, well, everybody ought to understand because I'm going through a hard time. He still requires me to walk in love and forgiveness towards people. He still requires me to be understanding. Are you with me? Especially because a lot of times when you find yourself in a time of transition, you know, I was thinking of um, Job, and he was in a situation that wasn't fun, wasn't good. And actually, you can kind of see that as a transition period. Just thought of that. He's in a rough spot. But his friends or his acquaintances, I guess the Bible says they were his friends, but sometimes you wonder, are those his friends? You know, who needs enemies when you got those kind, right? But you know, one of the most difficult things, well, I won't say the most difficult, but a very difficult thing I bet for Job, being in that situation, he, he didn't sin. He didn't do anything wrong. And yet he was going through these things, going through this situation. But the perspective of his friends was something else. Their perspective was their reality. Their reality said, you did something wrong. Otherwise, this wouldn't be happening. And so they all preached their message of how Job needs to repent and all this kind of stuff. In other words, Job was misunderstood. He didn't do anything wrong, and yet he was misunderstood. And I think that's one of the most difficult things, or I won't say most, Let me say, that is an extremely difficult thing when you are misunderstood by people around you. I want you to agree with that. When I think about it, when you're doing right, you didn't do anything wrong, you're doing what, maybe even what God told you to do, people misunderstand that and say, what is your problem? You need to change things, you need to turn things around, you need to quit doing that. And in that process, you can get frustrated and begin to lash out, begin to get resentful, bitter, angry. And begin to try to justify yourself instead of walking in love and forgiveness and let the Lord fight your battles or handle the situation the way he sees fit. Number three, he wants to speak to me and give me clear direction. In this time of transition, God's desire is to give me clear direction. He wants to speak to me. In your transition, whatever you're going through, he wants to give you clear direction, not muddled direction, not fuzzy, confusing direction. He wants to give you clear direction. And a lot of times people say, I want to know God's will. I want to know God's will. I'm going to share something with you, maybe a revelation. God wants you to know his will more than you want to know his will. You ever thought of that? Say, I want to know God's will. Well, don't you think he wants you to know his will? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. So if you're in a transition, a state of, I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, I don't know where I'm going, God will speak to you. I mean, the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 5, if any man lacks wisdom, and the context is trials or transition. If any man lacks wisdom during this period, let him ask of God who gives generously, not selfishly, not 
Okay, I know you need 10 ounces of wisdom, but I'm only going to give you a little speck. There you go. Don't expect any more. God is not stingy with his wisdom. He wants to pour it out on you so that you can move with wisdom in his will. But here's the deal. Here's the catch. He wants to speak to me and give me clear direction, but I have to diminish the distractions. You know, if you have your TV on, and of course you're watching an awesome godly gospel show, you're watching your TV, and then there's all this noise around you, the TV could be at a very good volume. It could be quite loud. But if all this noise... If you've got kids all over the place and dogs and whatever, making all kinds of noise, it's going to be very difficult for you to be able to focus in and hear what's going on on TV, right? So what do we do? You can crank up the TV or you can minimize the distractions. God wants to speak to us and he will speak to us clearly. And he is speaking to us clearly. But we have distractions in our lives that make it hard to hear. And we say, I can't hear God. I can't hear God. Well, that's not true. Because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. How many of you are sheep out there? (laughs) We are his sheep. And he says we can hear his voice. So if we're having a hard time hearing, then there's a problem. And it's not his speaking. He doesn't have a speaking problem. We've got a hearing problem. We've got distractions. We've got things going on that, that's causing us to have a hard time hearing. For example, anxiety. I've never been here before. Anxiety. Your soul is just crying and screaming. It's like, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared. Fear. Self-centeredness. It's all about me. It's all about me. Me, 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 me. What do I want to do? God, what do you want me to do? What do you want for me? What do you have for me? Me, 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 me. cares of this world. Remember, Jesus said in the parable that the cares of the world, the desire for other things, will choke out the word of God. It'll diminish it, choke it out. So what we need to do is we need to minimize the distractions, minimize that noise so we can hear God's voice. And how do you you diminish the distractions and amplify his voice? How do you diminish the distractions and amplify his voice? Two words, or three, because there's a conjunction in the middle. Prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. And Shannon shared a great word a couple of weeks ago about fasting. He said, how can that be a great word? Talking about not eating. How can that ever be good? That's the way I think about fasting. (laughs) Sorry. It's not my most favorite thing to do. But the result of it is why I embrace it. Prayer and fasting, emphasis on fasting, because we all agree with prayer. We've got to pray. But fasting, we're, we're making our soul, our physical, our body come into subjection to our spirit man. We're saying you will no longer dominate. You you will no longer dictate. But I am in subjection to Jesus Christ. And so when you set aside that time of prayer and fasting, going without food for the sake of seeking him, 
then you're dominating the flesh, putting it under subjection. And then what happens is your spiritual sensitivity begins to be heightened. And remember, fasting is not saying, hey, God. And I say God's over there. Hey, yo, over here. Hey, psst. And he says, oh, I didn't see you over there. You know, fasting is not yelling at God, getting his attention so he looks at us and then gives us what we want. Actually, fasting is more like, hey, son. Yes. In other words, when I fast, I'm lining up with him. Yes, Lord. That's what fasting is. It's coming in line with him. Coming in tune. Coming in agreement with the voice of the Lord, with his will, with his kingdom purposes. And so I would encourage you. I believe some of you have have embraced that word and said, yes, I'm doing this. And matter of fact, you've probably even already seen wonderful results as a, as a direct result of you fasting and praying. And some of us are saying, you know, Lord, I'm, I'll get back with you on that. And you're considering it, you're thinking about it, and if you're like me, you're praying about it. I'm going to pray about fasting. Hold on a second. You know, if someone invites me to a feast, say, hey, see, we want to invite you, we want to bless you. I don't usually spend a lot of time praying whether or not I should go. I said, let me see what my calendar says. Yep, it's free. Let's go. But when it comes to fasting, hmm, let me see if it's going to work into my schedule. You know, one thing Shannon shared a couple weeks ago and in, in starting out, I can't remember if she shared it. I think she shared it because I listened to it on the, the CD first. But something to the effect of probably the reason why we're not seeing the breakthroughs that we're believing God for. We are looking for and expecting God to do wonderful things because he's promised to do wonderful things. And we're wanting a breakthrough, but we're not seeing it in our lives. We're not seeing the people get healed like we desire. We're not seeing the manifestation of his kingdom like he promised and he wants to do through us. And I believe a part of that is because... We're so full of self. We're so full of our ways, my ways, my comfort, my convenience, all about me. And then I'll let the kingdom of God slip in every once in a while where it fits. If my iPhone says I can squeeze it in, then I'll squeeze it in. You know, Holy Spirit says, I want you to fast. I don't have an app for that. And so I want to encourage you because I believe the word of the Lord, I believe the invitation of the Holy Spirit because he knows what he wants to do. And see, many of you have have had awesome, powerful words spoken over you prophetically over and over and over and over again. God says, I want to bring you into this. The dangerous thing is, is you can disqualify yourself from that. And you can say, God, why did you never, why did you never, ever do what you said you're going to do? Because when God speaks a word to you, over you, it's not unconditional. It is full of condition. That condition is obedience. Ask the children of Israel. God promised them land flowing with milk and honey. He did all these miracles and everything. So, so they would come out of there, transition, 
and make it into this place over here. And they didn't make it. They did not make it. They disqualified themselves. And many saints, I believe, disqualify themselves from the fullness of what God has for them because they don't allow God to do what he wants to do in them. He didn't, they don't allow the process to happen so they can receive the ministry. So fasting, we need to, he wants to speak clearly to me, so I must diminish the distractions through fasting and prayer. Number four, different mindset. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. I have six things, and I'm on number three. Gives you hope. Halfway there. Colossians chapter 3. We must have a different mindset. One thing I'm learning, we must have a different mindset. How do you change your mindset? Colossians chapter uh, chapter 3, verse 1 says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. So different mindset, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your mind on things above and not things on the earth. You know what, do you guys remember, uh, were you here during the Saturday morning session of the missions conference when Barbara Monroe shared? Raise your hand if you were here. Well, raise your hand if you were here during the Saturday morning missions conference. Because if you were here, then that means you probably heard Barbara, because you're probably thinking, I don't know who Barbara is. But one thing she shared really got my attention. She shared about the disasters. Um, I mean, it wasn't pleasant necessarily what she was saying about the fault line, earthquakes, all this kind of stuff. You know, bombs going off in certain parts of the country, all this wonderful, happy stuff. But one thing she shared, remember she talked about a team going into Joplin, and they were there four hours after the tornado went through. And uh, the members of this team met with this one man. They, they came up with this one guy, and he was sitting there. His house was destroyed, and he had just lost his wife and his kids. Dead. You guys remember that? And they remember what she said, they said, this guy did. They were, you know, they, you know, what do you say? You don't say anything to anybody like that. You just love on them and just love on them. Listen. And if I remember correctly, she said that this man got up, went in the middle of that rubble and laid down and began to worship God. You remember that? Anybody remember that? Make sure I'm not, I didn't hear it incorrectly. That impacted me. Because I was thinking, this guy, now I'm sure that he's going through the natural grieving process. Because I think God designed that. And you can imagine losing your family. But his perspective had to be heavenly. I mean, how do you lose everything that's important to you and you worship God? Your perspective has to be different. It has to be on heaven and not things on, on the earth. Maybe he was thinking about, at least I will see my family again someday because I know where they are. And not just the generic, well, I know they went to a better place. Because everybody says that. You die, you go to a better place. And that's not true. Unless Jesus Christ, has, you've been forgiven of your sins and put your faith in him. 
But I don't believe this man had the generic kind of, they went to a better place. I think he knew the Lord. How else could you respond like that? And what convicted me about that whole thing is, here in America, I keep hearing these statistics and I keep, you know, things I hear and learn and my heart breaks because I'm, I'm passionate about America. I'm passionate about the church, the body of Christ, particularly here in America, of course, globally, but particularly here in America. And the church of America is losing right now. The church in America is diminishing. 3,500 to 4,000 churches a year close their doors. 3,500 to 4,000 churches a year close their doors. Only 4% of the churches are actually growing with new believers. The other churches that are growing, it's basically just believers shifting from one church to another. So the church in America is diminishing, it's dying, but in other parts of the world, the church is growing. It's flourishing. Revival. It's like, what is going on? And I love this country, and I know you love this country, but there are some things that we've allowed to embrace. We've embraced more than God's kingdom. The American dream. My comfort, my convenience. What's in it for me? The, all the meism. And what's happened is the gospel has been... It's like we have America, our American dream and stuff, and then we let the gospel, part of the gospel that will filter in, that will fit in, we let it in. And so then we have this washed down, wishy-washy kind of gospel. And everything revolves around me and my comfort and my stuff. And if that stuff is shaken or taken away, I go crazy. And in light of what was said at the conference... One brother was talking about end times, about nuclear bomb going off in, in New York and, and then a fault line and earthquakes and all this kind of stuff. If you don't become kingdom-minded, heavenly-minded, then how are you going to react when that stuff begins to happen? How are you going to react? And the word that I keep hearing over and over and over, it was shared a couple of times at the conference, and I've heard it before, and I'm sure you have too, that America is not going to be the same. That the way we're, we're used to life right now, the comfort, the wonderfulness, and I'm not complaining about this. I love this. I mean, this is, it's nice. But in some way, it's going to change dramatically. I've heard of it being compared to third world countries or whatever. We don't know what it's going to look like. You know, we can speculate, speculate, speculate. But my heart is and my question to you, saints, is are you going to be ready when that happens? If all hell breaks loose and persecution begins to come into the church, it becomes illegal to meet here corporately. Or all of a sudden the economy falls apart and we none of us have jobs because there's no more money. Now, none of us know how we're going to react or respond to that situation. But are we preparing by allowing God to work his process in us? Because, see, he knows the future. He knows how it's all going to pan out. He knows what it's going to look like. And if we submit to him, then he will prepare us and give us the grace to walk with him even through difficult times. 
And I don't know about you, but common sense tells me I think it's better to hook up with the person who knows how it's going to pan out. I think I'm going to hang out with God a little bit more. Kind of hold on to him a little tighter, kind of hide behind him a little bit. You know what I mean? Because it's going to get pretty scary. And the saints, we are the ones that are supposed to be the answer for the people out there who are freaking out. We need to be the rock, the stability. Where they look at us and say, how come you're not freaking out? Because I'm connected to the source. I know who's going to feed me. I don't have any food in my cupboards right now, but I know who's going to take care of me. I know, I know the one who's got it all under control. And I'm hanging out with him. And see, I know this is all lip service right now. But God is inviting us to join him in a process that will prepare us to walk victoriously through whatever comes on this planet. And we can, re- we can continue to resist and do our own thing and, and be all about, all about our stuff, all about our comfort. And they get pulverized when things all hit the fan. Or we can be ready so when things fall apart, we're ready and we're saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And we're able to be a part of the solution that helps people who are without hope, people who are falling apart, people who are just going crazy, and you're able to bring hope and peace into their situation. See, that's what transition's all about. Preparing us for God's next. Next whatever. Next ministry, next whatever, next uh, season in life. Transition is allowing God to prepare you for his next. Whatever it looks like. Whatever it looks like. And I'm starting to see things differently. You know, a year, two years ago, and I've shared this before, but two years ago, I, you know the scriptures where Jesus said, love your enemies and that kind of thing, pray for those who persecute you and despitefully use you. Those are just red letters on my, in my book. But as a result of some things that have been brought into my life that God's allowed and maybe even brought, he wouldn't let me out of the situation. I said, God, get me out. He said, no. He said, please. He said, no. He said, pretty please. He said, no. He said, but I'll give you my grace to walk through this. You know, he invited me, and I shared that with us in another sermon, I don't know when, but, but he invited me in the process when I was going through this difficult time when people were coming against me, I didn't do anything wrong. And he invited me to receive his grace, and he showed me that word in there. It says to love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And I said, Lord, help me. I embrace this. He began to do a work in me. And I got to the point where I was praying the blessing of God over these people. And I still do. Every time I think of their names, I pray the blessing of God over them. And then the situation with that stupidity moment when I lost $3,700. We're not going to go into great detail on that. We're not looking behind on that. We're moving ahead, right? But that whole situation with that person who was on the other side involved with that who's maybe enjoying $3,700 more than he had before he met me. I'm able to love that person and pray for their salvation and mean it with all my heart. But that's only happened because God is changing my reality, changing my perspective, where I see people differently. See, if that guy doesn't repent, he's going to go to an eternal hell. And that $3,700 isn't going to do him anything. And I'm going to go to eternal heaven. That $3,700 isn't going to mean anything to me. 
You know what I'm saying? So is it all about $3,700 or is it about a soul, a person who God loves and wants to bring into his kingdom? And when we allow ourselves, check this out, when we allow ourselves, when we get in a situation that is yuck, people are persecuting you, people are doing all these things against you, hating you, misusing you, uh, misunderstanding you, and you say, okay, God, I submit, I'll do whatever you want. You're allowing him to bring salvation into that situation that may not come otherwise. Did you hear that? You may be allowing God to allow salvation to come into that situation with those people because you're walking in obedience. And they may not otherwise experience because maybe they don't plan to go to a church. Maybe they won't be in a situation where they're surrounded by Christians and and understand the love of God. But when they, see the, uh, when they see a person who's allowing God to love them through you, even though they're coming against you, that gets their attention. I mean, how many times have we heard stories of people being persecuted? Like in the Chinese church, you hear stories of, of soldiers coming in to kill the Christians. And they say, deny Jesus or die. Those of you who want to live, leave. Deny Jesus and leave. And then some leave. And the rest of them know that I can't deny my Lord, so they stay there, knowing that they're about to be killed. And then the soldiers drop the guns and say, we want to know the God that you know. For you to be willing to to die for this Jesus, I want to know who he is. I want to know about him. And see, currently in America, we're not experiencing that kind of persecution. But we experience the everyday trials. With our employers or our employee or uh, boss or, or whoever, you know, all that turmoil and everything. And so we have opportunities to allow the grace of God to shine, flow in us and through us so that people can see the goodness of God. Does that make any sense? Number five. Relationship is key. One thing I'm learning in this time of transition is that relationship is key. And one thing Pastor Dale has said over and over and over again is relationship is everything. And if you look at the gospel, look at the kingdom in light of that, relationship is everything. Relationship is everything. And I'll, I'll elaborate on that a little bit more. Well, I want to do want to say one thing about relationship. Again, our culture... is anti-relationship. What I mean by that, our culture does and is allowing everything to make it hard for you to establish relationship. In other words, we're busy. Our technology allows us to be, you know, in other words, we're, we're still interfacing with people, but it's through the iPhones or it's through Facebook or it's through this, this social stuff And so we don't have to have real relationships anymore. And our schedules are so busy and our activities are so dominant and everything that I don't have time to develop real relationships with people because I'm busy about my stuff. And my stuff can have kingdom written on it. And then that justifies me doing that versus developing relationships with people. And as a result, in the church, our relationships are at best surfacy. 
And we don't know how to develop relationships. And Jesus said, go in the world and make disciples. How do you do that without relationship? Okay, again, that's another sermon for another time. But relationship is key. I do want to say one more thing. Do not see it as somebody else's responsibility for you to develop, develop relationships in the church. In other words, you think, you know, so-and-so, he's a leader. I don't even know him or her or them. I don't even know them. But what have you done to reach out to that leader? Have you said, hey, I'd like to take you out for coffee or a pie or whatever, just to have some fellowship. In other words, the tendency can be, well, he's a leader. It's his responsibility. He needs to do it. He should reach out to me. Maybe, maybe not. But instead of us all waiting for each other to make the first move, let's determine, you know what? I want to know people better in this church. And before our church gets too big, before our church gets too big, before our church gets too big, let's get to know each other now. Okay? It's going to come a time when it's going to be more difficult. But do what you can. Reach out and say, hey, if you need someone to practice on, I'll tell you what. Invite me over for dinner. But I do have dietary restrictions. Okay, listen. It has to be steak or roast or chocolate brownies and ice cream. Any kind of vegetable is okay. But anything outside of that I'm allergic to. So, just kidding. Well, maybe not. But I just want to encourage us, brothers and sisters, let's be definite. If you're, if you're frustrated because you don't know people as much as you'd like to, do something about it. Take the first step and say, hey, let's get together for some fellowship. Come over to my house or let me come over to your house. Cook me dinner. Let's get to know each other. We'll talk more about that later. Number six. When I don't know what to do, in transition, remember, in transition, when I don't know what to do, do what I know to do. I got your attention. Like, what? When I don't know what to do, do what I know to do. Pray in tongues, worship, praise, get in the Word. And I'm talking about <clears throat> aside from your normal daily, because you should be doing that daily anyway. We should be seeking the Lord. We should be having a relationship with him, developing that. Apart from that, okay, this is assuming that you're already doing that, especially in transition. The last thing you need to be doing in the time of transitioning is diminishing your time with God. That's the worst thing to do. But as you're spending time with him, and then you get yourself in a situation, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Well, do what you know to do. Pray in tongues. If you're spirit-filled, if you have the... The gift of speaking in tongues, pray in tongues. That's what I do a lot, especially when I really don't know what I'm supposed to do. Because the Bible teaches us. He gave that to us that we can do that. Pray in the Spirit. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. He who prays in a tongue edifies himself. Sometimes you need to be edified, built up. Pray in tongues. You know, speaking in tongues is not just reserved for prayer meetings. 
we think, oh, yeah, I pray in tongues. So we wait for a corporate prayer meeting where everybody prays in tongues and we pray in tongues. Shundai. Every day. You know, Paul says, I pray in tongues more than you all. How arrogant. How in the world could he say that? How do you know that, Paul? You don't know how much I'm praying in tongues. I would have took issue with Paul if he would have said that to me. Actually, he did because he said it right there. So you know what my goal is? And it's kind of a silly little one. But I want to be able to say that. I pray in tongues more than you all. Not out of a, not out of a, a boastful thing. My goal is not to be able to brag that. But my goal is to be able to live that. Where it just becomes a natural, like breathing. Praying in tongues, reading the word, worship, prayer. How many times have you been in a situation and you didn't know what to do and you just began to sing a song, just worship the Lord? And all of a sudden, he begins to download. Boom, the answer you are needing. Whoa. That's it. That's what I need to do. Let's stand.